All right, y'all, we are back. And I got to say, I feel pretty legit today. I finally got myself a podcast microphone. So if you listen to previous episodes and the sound wasn't as good, hopefully the sound will be better now. Really eager to share this with you. Something that I have seen popping up throughout social media and having conversations with parents of my patients as well. Lots of different ways that this is coming up. Let's Let's go ahead and dive in. I had a parent in my Facebook community ask, how do you deal with family that thinks your child is normal and they think I blow things out of proportion? These were her exact words. How many of you relate to this? Maybe there is someone in your circle who is questioning the diagnosis or doesn't think you should be labeling your child. Maybe they view what they observe as just quote unquote typical kid stuff. I think this though can be particularly problematic because it makes you feel really unseen and unheard. As a parent as well, you are naturally going to be protective of your child and you don't want others questioning him or her. So if you feel like you need to defend your child, you need to protect your child, that is immediately going to create a dynamic where you're going to be on defense and they feel like they need to be on offense. And then most importantly, and I think this is the piece that's most challenging, is sometimes your safe people don't feel safe anymore. And that can be really challenging to navigate and to sit with. So this episode, we will cover three tips for navigating autism when you feel like your child's diagnosis or even their identity, because we talk about neurodiversity here a lot. You know, once you get that diagnosis, it really becomes about their identity, especially if your child identifies themselves as autistic. And if you feel like that diagnosis or their identity is being questioned and it likely feels in that same situation like your parenting is being questioned too. So we're gonna cover that all in today's episode. I'm Dr. Tay, a licensed child psychologist and parental mindset coach specializing in autism. I've supported hundreds of autistic children and their families and have been in the autism field for over a decade. I'm the host of Evolve, the podcast where we have real conversations that are designed for autism parents just like you. Each week, we will discuss topics that directly impact your life, from providing psychoeducation about autism and neurodiversity to talking about your personal growth, well-being, and evolution as a parent, we dive into it all. Just keep in mind, nothing shared on this podcast is clinical advice, and you should consult with a medical or mental health provider if you need support. Now, let's get to talking about navigating autism when others aren't supportive. This topic is a doozy, I'm not gonna lie, but you bet we're gonna talk about it because we're gonna talk about all things that affect your life as an autism parent. You're here, you're listening, and you can start to think of who these people are in your life that don't feel supportive over the fact that you either want to pursue or have pursued a diagnosis for your child or that just don't feel like your child is autistic. So I know this happens and unfortunately it happens far too often. And I could get really deep into the landscape, but I'm just gonna say one one thing real quick. It's this artifact that we just don't have enough education about autism and there's not enough acceptance. And so that stigma often stops conversations from happening and it often stops people from being able just to embrace it and accept it immediately. Sometimes like, 
people do this really quickly, which is amazing to see. Maybe you're one of those people where you knew and you just knew you had to face the reality. But there are definitely people that maybe it takes them on a longer journey. And unfortunately, there's some people that just never get there. I, I haven't talked too much about my personal experience with autism in like a public domain, which is something that I plan to do more of in 2023. I'd love to get on here and share my story, but I will say I even saw this phenomenon in my own family where people were initially questioning things and weren't immediately supportive. I am grateful to say that everyone came around and it was a process to get there, but they did come around. And I think this often happens when the diagnosis first happens or when you're suspecting the diagnosis. But I, I've seen it pop up at different stages as well. Sometimes when you're making big decisions or there's big pivotal points about what should happen or what's the best decision for your child, that is where also some of this resistance to the diagnosis or fully embracing your child's functioning level can come into play. And quick aside, functioning level, it's going to vary day to day. It also is going to vary in different areas. So I'm not talking about like your child's high functioning or low functioning. I should have an episode on that. We could really get into that. But just generally about what your child's adaptive abilities are, what they're able to do independently, but also with support and what they're not able to do, what they need more hands-on support for. I think it can be most difficult when it's a spouse. And that is hard. When you feel like your spouse or your partner is questioning you, I have seen this. So I've done a lot of early diagnosis where I'm seeing toddlers and it typically, and I don't mean to gender this or stereotype it, it's just what I have observed. It's typically the mom coming to me being like, I know something's wrong and I'll hear, but my husband thinks I'm crazy or my partner just, he doesn't really buy into this. He doesn't even think I should be here right now. Or sometimes it's, it's more of a middle ground where it's like, my child's father was in agreement that I could do this, but they just really don't think there's going to be a diagnosis. It can vary in many, many different ways. And I think this can be the hardest situation to navigate when it's someone like direct to you. And it is another parent or caregiver of the autistic child. Yeah, it's hard. And we're going to talk through it and how to approach this in like a supportive way. People will come around with your patience and your willingness to walk them through this journey and allow them to walk themselves through this journey. They will come around. I'd say that's the majority of times, but you are going to find people in your life that aren't supportive and that's going to be really hard. It's going to be hurtful and yeah, some people just aren't willing to change and evolve with you because the reality is that when your child was identified as autistic, you changed and evolved as a person and as a parent. And so your circle has to be willing to evolve around you. So this leads me to tip number one. This one might come of surprise to you, but tip number one is ask supportive questions. And you might be going, wait a minute, shouldn't they be asking me supportive questions? And that's the ideal. But sometimes we as humans just need to feel listened to and like we're understood. And so if you are faced with this resistance, 
be aware that is a human reaction to get defensive. Just naturally, we do. It's it's how our brains are wired. So you're going to want to try to explain and to match their objections or their points of resistance with data and facts, whether it's data and facts about your child or data and facts about autism or data and facts of like, you know, this is really pissing me off. And Please know in all of this, your emotions are so incredibly valid. So I didn't even have this written when I was planning out the episode, but take care of yourself first. So if I'm walking you through these steps and you're like, I'm not ready to do this myself, that's okay. This is a process, it's a journey, and it takes time. And it is okay if right now at this point, you're not ready to ask supportive questions to someone else. But if you do notice yourself getting defensive, that's just a doorbell of awareness. It's a sign that maybe you're not ready to take on this approach yet. So sit with your feelings, process your own feelings. But if you feel like, okay, you can set aside your defensiveness, I'm going to walk you through exactly how you should approach this. But I want you to picture something really quick. I want you to imagine this is happening to you. Like right now, what happens if you are trying to explain yourself? Maybe you're even calm doing it. And someone comes back at you with all these reasons that you're wrong. And they might not even be saying you're wrong, but that's how it feels. What happens? You shut down. You're human. And so take a step back and envision that someone who isn't ready to take on this autism diagnosis, that's not willing to accept it, they probably are hearing over and over again that they're wrong. And it's super hard because you feel that same way. You feel like they're telling you that you're wrong. And so there is a little bit, and that's why I'm saying this is a journey and a process and you have to be ready. But if you feel like you can pick up your defensiveness and just say, hey, sit over here, like put it off to the side and be like, I'll come back to you later. You're welcome to be part of me. But right now I need to put you in a waiting room, so to speak. Like imagine like being at the doctor's office and literally putting your defensiveness in a waiting room. So then you can really sit with this person and listen and understand and ask supportive questions. When you start to shut down, when all this information then starts to come in, not only do you feel like you're being told you're wrong, but all the words and education that the other person is trying to share, you're likely not hearing it. Just like they probably aren't hearing you about autism when you're trying to discuss it. There's a lot of emotions that come up in the diagnostic process. And I have been absolutely blessed, even though it is an incredibly difficult time, I've been blessed to be able to support parents through this to really know what goes on in the process. And I alluded to it at the beginning of this episode, I have my own experiences with it too. So it is normal and we don't wanna push our emotions off. So giving them space to breathe yourself and also, some of this process is giving other people's emotions space to breathe. It might just feel like they don't want to listen to you, but there could be, so to speak, stages of grief going on for them. I don't want to like, hey, one grief is more than another, that type of thing. And you haven't lost your child in this, but your expectations do have to shift. And so I still like giving the analogy to grief because there are stages with grief. There's, there is that anger part where you're blaming other people. Not everyone goes through every stage, but 
think about your own journey and process of when you receive the diagnosis, there could be some anger. There can be sadness and a lot of tears. There also can be a lot of envy of looking at other children and being like, my child isn't like that. There can be the stage of denial. So maybe they're even in that stage of denial. Let me give you some actionable tips, but I wanted to give you kind of the lay of the land. So the first thing after you, you need to regulate yourself and you need to shift your expectation. Shifting your expectation with this first step, this first tip is you're not trying to teach them. You are truly trying to listen to understand their viewpoint. Because when you do that, they are going to feel more heard and you're actually gonna get to the bottom of the quote unquote issue sooner. And it's gonna feel like a collaboration versus the both of you fighting back and forth. So once you put that aside, you're willing to put your defensiveness aside, you're willing to shift your expectation, you feel like you're in a regulated state, you could say something like, and you have to be calm, you have to watch your tone, you have to be mindful of all of this. And time out real quick, you're probably going, Taylor, why do I have to do all of this? The goal of all of these tips are how you navigate and help support someone. And it can feel really frustrating. You could be like listening to this and be like, no one did this for me. And listen, I'm sorry, no one did this for you. Someone should have been there in this process for you. And even though it's not fair, someone else wasn't there for you, being there for someone else in this process can be really helpful and taking a step back thinking of how it benefits your child. When you're willing to take this on, when you're ready to take this on, you don't have to hop into these action steps right away. But you could say something like, I notice when I bring up our son having autism, you often disagree. I want to understand your perspective. Would you be willing to share that with me? And you might then just sit there, like don't talk anymore. Just like close your mouth, turn your ears on and just listen. Now I want you to hear the difference between how I just said it and how the defensive side of you might wanna say this. I notice when you know, I bring up our son with hat having autism, you often disagree with me. I don't understand that. Like, I do want to understand your perspective. Would you be willing to share that? Sorry if I was like screaming in your ear there. But notice the tone, right? The first one invites them to actually share. The second one is going to put them on defense. So be aware of your tone. But then just being willing to listen. Or another question that can work really well is, what do you feel is typical for a child her age. So if you notice someone saying, well, that's typical, that's typical. Okay, well, what do you feel is typical? Help me understand that. You're not saying in that moment, like you're gonna convince me our child doesn't have autism. But again, you might be saying, okay, let me understand where you're coming from and what your perspective is. As I already emphasized, the key here is to listen, to let them explain. Your goal is simply to understand. It is not to change their mind in this first step or this first tip. Then I find it can often be helpful to go into hypothetical questions. It might be look like, what if she is autistic? What would be the worst case scenario for you? Or what if she is autistic? What do you worry about with that diagnosis? I guarantee their brain is already thinking something like this, right? It's that defensiveness that is coming up for them more likely than not. 
course, there's situations and exceptions to this, but sometimes it's just like admitting the diagnosis could in their brain feel like the worst case scenario is coming true. And when worst case scenario lives in our brain and we don't actually get to process, it's just kind of holding our brain hostage. What happens is it feels so real and it feels like that exact thing is going to happen. So processing this can be really helpful. It might even be appropriate in the moment, again, listen first, but then to self-disclose. It could look like, I cried many times when my son first got his diagnosis. It is normal to have a lot of emotions and I want you to know that we can be safe spaces to process together. You're being vulnerable that yes, this was hard, right? You're trying to see where their pain is coming from in that moment. And this sort of listening to understand process is actually going to bring your connection deeper. Now, I want to warn you in this, it probably is going to take repeated times. I've seen it when it can be a really slow, intentional process and you really listen. I have seen this actually work like beautifully. And Many times, especially if this is a new skill for you, it just takes multiple conversations. So don't be hesitant to keep bringing this up and always keep in mind that your goal is to listen to understand. And you don't want to go to tip number two or even step number two until you, you finally feel like you can understand their perspective. Keeping in mind, I think this is sometimes a misconception, that understanding their perspective means you agree with it. That is not true. You can even have acceptance that they have a different perspective than you do, but that doesn't mean you agree with it. So I want you to keep that peace in mind, that understanding and that accepting doesn't mean that they've changed your mind or that you're saying, okay, yep, you're totally right. Tip number two is to educate about autism and neurodiversity. You can only do this though once you have that collaborative conversation. If you launch into this, basically what's happening, we all have what are called walls of resistance where they come up, they're like a castle. The walls just come up to protect the castle. Well, you're the castle and the person you're talking to is the castle and their walls go up, right? And so if both of your walls are up in this conversation, which it happens when we just like list facts, it's not gonna go well. So get that collaborative energy first. For example, if someone goes, well, my child flaps, that is normal. And then you come back with how that can be a symptom and along with all the other symptoms your child is displaying and how he meets criteria, almost guarantee they're gonna shut down on you. They're gonna tune you out, they're not gonna hear it. They might be nodding and looking at you, but that is like that, that glazed over look of like, okay, I hear the words, but I'm not processing the words. So don't be afraid, even in this step, to ask questions in a non-defensive way. And I forgot to say on the first one, oh my gosh, my favorite, favorite thing in these conversations is something along the lines of, tell me more about that. If someone goes, well, my child flaps, that's normal, rather than you responding of telling them basically how they're wrong, you might be like, tell me more about that. Or what do you mean by that? Right? That's extending the conversation. And so that goes with tip one, but also can go with tip two. Now, here is the biggest key, biggest, biggest key I want you to hear. Once you're engaging with them, you're having this collaborative conversation, you need to ask permission to share information. 
Don't just go launching into it. Ask them if they want that information because a person is going to be more likely to learn if they feel like they have a choice in it. And so you're giving them a choice. Now, they might say, no, I don't want to learn. Okay, well, we'll move on to step three in that situation. But ask permission, and this is often a misstep. And then once they agree, rather than you sharing everything at once, which would be information overload, maybe share one relevant thing with them. Maybe whatever the topic of conversation is or something personal about your child, share one thing. Don't word vomit all over them because again, that's going to just like shut them down. They're going to hear words, but not process words. I also love sending resources that they can think through on their own time. So you might send them like a reel or a TikTok. Honestly, those social media platforms are great resources to learn about autism and neurodiversity in bite-sized chunks. You also might send them episode four or five of this podcast. Episode four was all about diagnostic criteria. They might, hearing it come from someone other than you, it might help it click. And episode five was about, are you losing your voice? You have to be careful with this one, but if you feel like they're really starting to understand, you might share that episode as a way to explain what this process is like for you. Keep it simple in one step. So I don't love recommending books at this stage because that's a lot to take in. But this is why I love social media. It's short and sweet. And more importantly, we can actually learn from the autistic community as well. There's some amazing content creators that are autistic or that are neurodiverse, and that can be great sources and information. Another little tip in this step is as a starter, you might also ask what they know about autism and then lead in from there. Sometimes there's a misconception. Sometimes they actually might know a lot but might not understand how it applies to your child. Those are great ways to be able to educate. But the biggest piece in all of this is ask for permission. All right, so step three or tip number three. I called them tips, but I really feel like they are more steps. Key is you have to try one and two first and you have to be patient in this process. Don't jump to step three right away, because if you do, I'm gonna warn you, it's gonna feel really shitty. Give this time, probably you went on your own journey and you had your own processing. And sometimes, especially if you were the parent leading the charge for the diagnosis, you had concerns before that, and so you were already starting to process through this. And so give people time, give people grace. Tip number three is setting boundaries. And there are two types of boundaries that can be helpful. One is describing how you feel. So it looks something like this. Then you say, X, insert something, about my child. I feel uncomfortable and don't know how to share about my child with you. And you've always been there for me. So I really want to be able to share. What can we do to solve this? And notice there you're inserting collaborative problem solving. They're going to be much more likely to see it because it, it feels in that moment like you're a team. You can also say things like, please don't say X, whatever X is. It crosses my boundary and it makes me feel, insert some feeling, description. Be cautious of this. Again, watch your tone. But also, this isn't a place for you just to launch into everything you're thinking. Keep it short and sweet, which gives them the ability to respond before they're shutting down. Example that I've heard is like someone like a family member or close friend saying, oh, it's all in your head. Like your child doesn't have autism. So it might be like 
please do not tell me that it's all in my head. It crosses my boundary and it honestly, it makes me shut down and like I'm a bad parent. Instead, when you're questioning the autism diagnosis, would you just say that for me? Like, hey, I'm really questioning this part of the autism diagnosis. Can we discuss that? How much better does that feel? It still might be hard to hear, but that feels much better than someone telling you that it's in your head. Then, as a last resort, and I want you to hear this because this step is so hard, but I need to cover it too because I've seen situations where this is necessary. Setting a boundary where you create distance. I want you to know that this is going to create a lot of emotions for you. Be prepared for that. Know that going into this. And it may also for the recipient. I think, though, there's a possibility they also might not notice either, especially since you've taken all these other steps to engage them in a healthy way. And sometimes that is even the harder part is that you finally create this boundary and this distance and they don't even seem to care. That can feel really, really hurtful. So there's so many ways you can do this, but I'll give you a few examples. You know, obviously there's that extreme of just like being done with the person. Most times I think People don't want that and it's not possible. So it might be things like limiting how often you see this person or how long you visit when you see this person. If there's someone, like if it's grandparents, for example, and you have to travel to see them, rather than staying a week, you might stay there two days and know that's your limit. Or it could be also just a short visit to their home or you meet at a neutral site too, so it's easier to leave and it's it's less likely that tense issues will come up. Maybe you also then avoid talking about the diagnosis and bringing that up, which can feel bad because this is part of your world now, but sometimes creating that boundary even though it doesn't feel good, it feels better than the alternative of like you leaving that interaction feeling, again, really shitty, like something's wrong with you as a parent or that something's wrong with your child. That alternative of just like avoiding the talk about the diagnosis or your child's identity as autistic might feel better than getting into it all. Or another alternative is bringing your child all together, particularly if you have a child, maybe they they have meltdowns in public because public's overstimulating and you're doing different things to support them and so forth, but then you're getting a lot of commentary from this person. Maybe your connection with this person isn't when your child is around. Again, I want to caveat, this isn't an easy step, but sometimes is a really necessary step. And I think that a lot of bitterness can come up in this. But keeping in mind, this is a way to protect yourself and your child from someone who doesn't want to try to understand. Hear that again. This step occurs with someone who doesn't want to try to understand. You've tried all the healthy approaches first, and it's just not working. The last piece that I want to leave you with is you will find a community that supports you. I promise you in that. I hope you can find a local community or family and friends that are supportive, but also know that's exactly one of the reasons that I started my Facebook community is so that you have a place where you can feel seen, heard, and supported. And Sometimes this community evolves. Sometimes the people you thought were going to be there for you aren't the ones, but that also means that new people are going to come into your life. 
And the last piece is, although I talk about education, just also know it's not your job to educate the world, to educate everyone. We absolutely need change in this area. We need greater acceptance. Awareness is the first step. We need greater acceptance in this. And we need to start changing the dialogue about this. And it is a systems issue. It is going to take time. Voices like yours, though, help and they matter. They have impact. But you need to also do what feels good within your boundaries and within your energy. All right. So to summarize, step one is ask supportive questions and listen. Step two is educate about neurodiversity and autism. And step three is creating healthy boundaries. Keeping in mind, I called them tips at the beginning of this, but I really feel like there is this progressive nature. All right. That is a wrap for this week's episode of Evolve with Dr. Tay. Thank you for listening. If you find yourself listening to these episodes and finding value, come join the Evolve Facebook group. Each week I record podcast episodes live in that community and host a Q&A after each episode. You get access to engage with me, plus you can connect with other like-minded autism parents. It is a community designed for you to feel seen, heard, and supported as a parent of an autistic child and introduces you to my whole family approach. The group is linked in the show notes. I will be back next week with another real conversation about all things autism in your family life. Be sure to hit the plus or follow button in the podcast platform that you are listening to right now. This will notify you when the next episode is live. Catch you all later.